So this morning we are in Luke chapter 1, in the midst of our series going through uh, just a couple of these different passages throughout this beloved first chapter of Luke's gospel. In this series that we've uh, been, uh, as we've been anticipating uh, Christmas known as Advent, we are here this morning in verse uh, number 46 looking at what is called the Magnificat, the Song of Mary. I'd just like to begin by just saying this, and perhaps you'll be startled by this, but I think that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is one of the most divisive characters in the whole Bible. And maybe that's an odd thing to say, but, uh, you know, this is Jesus' mom that I'm talking about. But I think if you search throughout church history, if you scan your history textbooks if you want, you can see that Mary, this figure, has loomed large in a lot of church debates throughout the centuries. And for that reason, I think she's divisive. Actually, I can say this, I think, that Mary, for all intents and purposes, exists in somewhat of a ditch. Either we make too little of her, and we don't think about Mary, the mother of our Lord, often enough, or we make too much of her, and we idolize her, and we lionize her, and we make too much of who she was and did. She is either, either wrongly slighted or wrongly worshipped. And, and in that way, I think we've done Mary a great disservice. And I get it. You know, uh, we're Baptists here. It, hopefully that you believe that if you're coming to a Baptist church. <laughs> we believe in a lot of the old timeless storied doctrines of the Baptist church. And I get it. We, we don't want to end up Catholic. So we sideline the Virgin Mary. We don't want to end up uh, going down that horrible road of false doctrine that they have applied to this figure. Roman Catholics, of course, as you might know, and many others perhaps have ascribed a number of unfounded and unscriptural doctrines to Mary, the mother of our Lord. Some believing that she was free from original sin, that she was taken up by the Lord Jesus, much like Elijah uh, at, the, at, at the end of her time on this earth. And that she now serves in heaven as a minister of mediatorship, much like our Lord Jesus does too. There's many others perhaps that we could, uh, we could go through. The list of doctrines that's applied to her is, uh, is quite long. And many of them, actually perhaps all of them I should say, are, are un- unbiblical. There's no scriptural evidence for them at all. But I think in going away from that and trying to avoid such things as that, avoiding that ditch, we end up falling into another one. By making too little of her and, and not even thinking of her at all. It's actually considering Mary and actually we don't consider her. We just kind of ignore her. And I think that's a sad reality. Especially considering that Mary is, quote, the virgin that Isaiah prophesied about in Isaiah 7.14. Let me just read that verse to you. It's a verse that I think ought to stick in your minds during this holiday season. It's a verse which is brimming with hope and meaning and prophecy for what we are now here celebrating. Isaiah 7.14, of course, is that prophecy of the child that would come from the virgin. 7.14 says this, if I can find it. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This, of course, is what is now being fulfilled in the heart of Mary, in the life of Mary. She is that one who was prophesied about. 
The virgin who would conceive and bring forth Emmanuel into our world. Such is why, by the way, in our text, Luke chapter 1, I think Luke mentions the fact that she's a virgin not once but twice in the same verse. Notice verse 27. Well, I'll just read verse 26 to get us into it. In the sixth month, the sixth month, that is, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. You get the point. He's emphasizing a very specific fact about Mary so that we can know that she's the one. She's the one that was prophesied so many centuries before. Likewise, twice Gabriel mentions the favor that she receives from God. Notice verse 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that are highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Likewise, twice she is mentioned with that sort of description in mind. Blessed art thou among women. The angel Gabriel here calls her that as does her cousin Elizabeth in verse 42. Obviously, there's something, there's some sort of right way we ought to think about the Virgin Mary, this mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see her as an example to your faith? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. And I don't here presume that I'm going to solve centuries of church history debates in one single sermon. I, I don't, I'm not so presumptuous. But I do hope that we can get out of the ditch perhaps just a little bit and see her, see Mary for who she is. A shining example of the faith that we too can have even this morning. If you go back to verse 46, notice how she begins her song. It says, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. This entire song, of course, is called just that, the Magnificat, the magnification of the Lord Jesus. And every single phrase, every single word in it has this air of celebration, has this air of triumph and fulfillment. In that regard, it's much like Zacharias's, which we looked at a couple weeks ago. This rejoicing makes this song, perhaps we could say, the first worship song in the New Testament era. She is worshiping what is now happening in her life. She's worshiping God. You can sense that she has a fear of the Lord, as the scriptures say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And here she is proving herself wise beyond her years. Praising her Lord, citing, as she says, the great thing that God has done and is doing in her. And I've always, I've always thought about that. And I've, I've tried to contemplate that phrase, this, as she says in verse 49. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things. Wasn't that true for Mary? Was, humanly speaking, was Mary's situation One that we could describe as great. Actually, I would like to say it probably wasn't. (laughs) 
Actually, nearly everything about Mary's circumstances was going against her. It was, uh, it was actually putting her behind the eight ball, we might say, if you want to use that, that idiom. It was not a blessing. It was not good. It was not great. Israel, as you know at this time, was under Roman rule, much like centuries before the Babylonians had come in and dominated Israel and the Persians after them. Now Rome was doing the same thing. Israel was under Roman domination. Her nation's government was in shambles. There was no king, no real kingdom to rally around. There was nothing which they could triumph in as a nation. Nationally, this was a very tense moment in history, not just for Israel, but for the world. And yet, that's not all. Because it wasn't just national sort of stresses that made this not a sort of great moment for Mary, but also personally as well. Again, as it says in verse 27, she is espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. Espoused is another word that we could translate as betrothed, which we ought to think of as uh, sort of our term engagement. Her marriage day was yet a far way off. Perhaps it was in the next couple months or so, and yet now she finds out that she's pregnant. She's with child. Again, not an ideal time to start a family. You know, as they say, uh, uh, there is no ideal time to, to bring a child to the world, and that's very true. But this one very much wasn't an ideal time. With the Romans doing everything that they wanted to with Israelite citizens, and this was not an opportune time to get pregnant. The world was in ruin. Her life, though, now was in the balance. And I say that because, again, she is espoused to Joseph. She's betrothed to him, which has a lot more weight, a lot more seriousness uh, added to it than our word engaged. If uh, being engaged in our North American Western context, we might say, implies this intent to get married. There's this aim in front of you. Whether it's in the next couple of weeks or maybe the next year or so, you're, you're going to have that day when you can celebrate your marriage. And it's perhaps a ways off. But, and I hate to contemplate this, but if either party in that engagement decides to end it, there, there's no repercussions per se. There's no legal repercussions. There's a lot of emotions to work through, yes. Uh, there's a lot of relational repercussions perhaps, but if two people that are engaged in our country here today, they don't have to go to court unless they want to go on Judge Judy or something, perhaps, I guess. But this, this wasn't the case for Jewish betrothals. This was a very serious relationship in which two parties would enter. And it meant that you had to abide by all the same rules, all the same regulations, and have all the same stipulations as in marriage. Which meant in this day and age that any violation of said betrothal meant that, it, uh, that you would suffer penalties. Penalties which would be enforced by courts of law. So, therefore, in Mary's case... This one who is uh, supposedly a, a virgin who is promised in marriage to Joseph the carpenter who suddenly finds herself pregnant. What does human wisdom say? Human wisdom says that she's been unfaithful. That she's an adulteress. And I always think about that when I think about the Virgin Mary in this particular context. Who is going to believe her story? 
Who is going to believe the fact that an angel told her that that long-promised Messiah that was talked about ages and ages ago is yet now living inside her womb? And that's the reason that she is now with child. Imagine the gossip that swirled around Nazareth. Imagine the rumors. No wonder it says in verse 39, notice when the angel tells her all that is going to come about. And then he encourages her with the fact that also her cousin Elizabeth is with child. Notice it says in verse 39, and Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste. No wonder she's fleeing to the hills. Trying to get away from the rumor mill, the rumor cycle that was constantly spreading word about how unfaithful she had been with Joseph. Yet beyond all those rumors now, here her life was in the hands, we could say, of her espoused. Her fate was in the hands of Joseph. Joseph, of course, had now the authority as her betrothed to be her husband. Had the authority to either turn her over to the courts. He could do that. He could turn her over to them and they could lay down the penalty that would, that would go on to her infidelity, which likely meant that she would be stoned. Or he could dissolve their betrothal and end their relationship and just let her live with the scarred reputation that she now had, the marred character that she now had, a veritable scarlet letter, living with that scarlet A above her head, perhaps for the rest of her days, which is, in fact, what he planned to do. When you read about that in Matthew chapter 1, it says that he, that's exactly what he intends to do. He intends to put her away privily. He wants to sort of make no show about it, but he wants to dissolve the relationship that they have. And then God had other plans. An angel comes and visits Joseph, of course, and tells him exactly what is going on. Mary is not just carrying any child. She's carrying the Lord of all things. She's carrying the Savior. She's carrying Emmanuel. But think about all of this in terms of Mary's heart. In terms of Mary's life, which was for all intents and purposes over. At least according to how she used to live it. Mary has a moment in which all of her life was completely changed, completely turned upside down. That's what this announcement represents. When Gabriel comes and tells her that within her womb is growing the Lord Jesus. A new era was dawning. A new era, yes, for Mary, but for the whole entire world. Everything would be different from this point forward. Everything would be new. Everything would be changed. Consider Gabriel's words. Notice verse 30. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. This baby that's growing inside you, Mary... It's the son of the highest. And of course, all of Gabriel's words 
are alluding to so many different Old Testament passages that we don't have the time this morning to go into. But he's referencing all of what Jesus would come and do, what the Messiah would come and accomplish and finish. And I think that's what stands out to me as Gabriel is making this announcement. He's changing this young teenage girl's life. And it's pointing to the fact that what is now materializing, what is now growing inside Mary's belly, is not just happenstance, it's the culmination of God's eternal plans and purposes that all of eternity has pointed towards this one moment. And here it is. These tidings, these good news, these glad tidings that this angel now bears were in the works from before time began. From eternity past, they had been planning, they had been in the wisdom of God to bring forth a savior for the whole world. As we noted last week, now, now the fullness of time was come. That verse in Galatians. The fullness of time was now come. That God would bring forth his son. Born of a woman as it says. Born under the law. To redeem them that are under the law. And here it is. All things were now accomplished. For God to step into our world. In order to save it. And, I, it, and to think. That this process, this eternal process of redemption, this eternal scheme of salvation by which God would make the world new as he promises to do in his son. It begins with the news that a young teenage virgin was pregnant. That this young girl, Mary, was carrying inside of her the son of the highest, whose name was Jesus, our Emmanuel, which is interpreted as it says, God with us. The whole world's hope was now breaking into this hopeless world through this lowly virgin girl. And all those old But almost forgotten words of Yahweh. Those old prophecies. Were now being fulfilled. Were now being realized. In the child that she carries. Her question then is a natural one I think. Notice what she says in verse 34. Then send Mary unto the angel. Her response. Her response after being given this grand announcement of God's eternal plans that are culminating in her. She says, how shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. (laughs) She had never been with anyone. She knew that biologically this didn't make sense. This could not happen unless something else happened first. (laughs) To which Gabriel responds with words that are both enlivening and mystifying at the same time. Notice his response. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This verse right here, verse 35, we could accurately call the mystery of our faith. And in fact, Paul uses that phrase six times throughout his letters. The mystery of our faith or the mystery of the gospel. And I believe it is this right here. 
This fact that within Mary's womb was growing the Savior. Except this, uh, this mystery that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. How? Verse 35. Born of the Holy Spirit is what we confess. Conceived of the Holy Ghost is the confession that fills countless creeds that have existed throughout the, church, the history of the church. And we even sing it. That the offspring of the virgin's womb was none other than incarnate deity, Jesus, our Emmanuel. And here, this is what we affirm. This is what we uphold. This is what we believe. This is fundamental to our faith. That in this, in this Mary, who was, yes, likewise a sinner just like us. The sinless, and as it says, the holy son of God was here now conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. In this virgin's belly grew the God of all who is now here wrapped in a robe of flesh, we might say. And and this one that was here growing inside of her is our brother, Redeemer. As it is promised and talked about throughout the Old Testament, he is our kinsman, Redeemer. The one who is made like us yet in every way, yet without sin. Imagine that news. Imagine those tidings being given to you. Such an announcement, of course, is indeed life-changing. And I think that's what draws me to Mary's response. Again, her response to such an announcement. Yes, she had perhaps been faithful going to synagogue. She had, of course, as we'll get to in a moment, when she sings, she has quite a depth of knowledge of Old Testament scripture. She, of course, was knowledgeable in such things. She was perhaps a very faithful attendant. And yet, even still, I'm enamored. I am floored by what this girl demonstrates. By what Mary demonstrates in her response to this. This incredible moment in which everything was now changing. Notice what it says in verse 38. And it says, And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. This response is incredible to me. She's accepting. She in faith accepts this undertaking given to her by God himself. That undertaking which is none less than caring and birthing and nurturing the world's savior. She resigns herself to this. To this assignment that is here given to her by this angel. And she gives herself to the Lord's service. I am your handmaid, she says. I am your servant. She surrenders to this calling. Surrenders in faith. As she says, be it unto me according to your word. Which I like to think of as her way of saying, not my will, but yours be done. I have no doubt that even as she said such things, Mary's heart was full of anxiety. Was full of anxiousness at this news. And I think to say such things does not nullify the faith that she has and, and demonstrates. I think it's merely to recognize that she was human just like us. 
But this was an enormous burden. A burden, as we have yes noted, is from eternity. And yes, again, what do we find her doing? She's worshiping. Notice again verse 46. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done great things. And holy is his name. If you read, and which we will in a moment, this, the rest of this song. Uh, did you notice what is driving Mary's praise? What is giving her such confidence and peace and hope and what is informing her faith is God's word. In fact, we don't have time to connect every dot, but I I encourage you to do such a study. Connect every cross-reference you can out of the song back into the Old Testament. There are innumerable references that she is here referring to and alluding to in this song. And in fact, we could say nearly every single word in Mary's song can be found elsewhere in the Law and the Prophets. Her heart was informed was infused with the truths and the promises of God. And she is singing such things into this present reality, praising God for the great things that are taking place in her and through her in this very moment. All of those words that were promised so long ago, she recognizes and realizes in faith their fulfillment even here, even now. And as she says in verse number 50, she looks ahead even to the great things that will come upon generations to come. (coughs) Looks upon the mercy that God is going to manifest in this world. And she worships the God who is, we could say, the God of her fathers. Notice verse 55. As he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever, she praises that God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of David. That same Yahweh that had so filled the lives of those great many patriarchs of the faith. He is now the same God who is working this out in her life. Her heart was full of the words of the Lord. So when she says in verse 38, be it unto me according to thy word, she's not just saying something. She's confessing her heart and her soul. Your word is truth. Guide me according to your truth. I am your servant. I think one of the things that stands out to me about this song that she sings and about Mary herself as gleaned from this particular passage, is I think that she understood, at least in part, what her role was in all of this. You can see that as she uh, sort of resigns herself again to that calling, that she is a handmaid of the Lord. And yes, despite what a certain song that is very popular around this time, Mary, I think, did know, to a certain degree, that within her was growing this Son of God. And she knew from the outset that she needed what this son would come and do. Notice verse 47. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. The one who gave birth to the Savior still needed the Savior's blood to save her. 
It's amazing that she recognized that. That she realized that very fact. That she wasn't beyond the need of the one that she was giving birth to. But yes, even as she carried Emmanuel and brought him forth into the world, she needed what he would come and accomplish. And I don't quite know, perhaps, if she knew all the ins and outs. I would hasten to say that she didn't know all the details of what Jesus would come and do and what that meant in terms of dying on a cross. But she did know. She did know that she was the mother of the Savior, we could say. And we are right, I think, to be enamored by Mary's hope and her faith. And she, whose situation was desperate, as she confessed this faith, this otherworldly faith, I could say, in this God who was yet barely kicking inside of her belly. And I would say that your situation, Lord, is just as in control as as Mary's was. Your situation is not outside of the bounds of this very same God. And you here this morning, my friends, you can approach whatever unnerving days that lie ahead of you, whatever fearsome future that has been given to you, with this likewise same humble and joyful faith that Mary had. Precisely because we too have been given the same word from the Han High. A word which stabilizes us. A word which steadies us. Which concretes our faith in things that are true from eternity past. And our hope is here this morning tethered to the same almighty one who came down as it says to such lowly estate to save the likes of you and me. And our faith is in this one who does all things well. As it says in verse 37. For whom nothing is impossible. For Mary. This meant accepting the fact that she was giving birth to the Savior. For you perhaps your future. The days that lie ahead of you. The next year 2022. What does it hold? Who knows? (laughs) I perhaps have given up trying to predict what each year might hold and what some such people might do and say and try and make such futures. But regardless of what the days ahead lie uh, have for us, regardless of what the future is that lies ahead of us, we can position ourselves much like Mary Magnifying the Lord, rejoicing in the fact that our Savior has come. And He has come for us. He has come for you. He has come for each and every one of us in this room this morning. There's nothing that is impossible for Him. Yes. Even the impossibility of a virgin giving birth, that's nothing to this God. This God who does all things well, all things perfectly, and all things in his timing. For me, I'm enamored by Mary's faith. This mother of our Lord Jesus who accepted such a fate. Accepted such a task and such a role. A role of mothering the Savior. Caring for the Redeemer.
I pray this morning that we likewise would be built up, be encouraged by the same amount of faith. And my friends, it comes from this word that we have in front of us. It comes from these beloved scriptures that I pray that you keep in your heart. When Mary sings, she's singing the scripture. When you're praying to your Savior, I pray that you're doing the same. May we say with Mary, be it unto me according to thy word. Let us pray.